welcome to the second of TV Cream's three daily installments of What We Just Watched. My name's Ian. My name's Graham. And I'm Chris. And in today's edition, we will be looking at my choice of festive viewing. Right, well, um, today's show is one which, as is traditional, um, needs no introduction of sorts from me, and there will be no uh, danger in you not identifying this. So let's take it away. Oh, oh it's Granada. Oh. <laughs> well, we stay. Oh, so it's Coronation Street. So, well, so Chris, let's quickly work out what era. I think this is oh, going to be early. I think it's early eighties. Because um, they recast the cat, didn't they? So this is definitely yes. early eighties. Yes. Well, um, let's see. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is early eighties. Okay. Looks and we like fade into the street. Oh, there's Alf Roberts. Is this going to be Alf Roberts watching the Queen's feature? <laughs> no, but okay. um, you're in the right uh, era. And there's Baldwin, dressed uh, dressed for a wedding or something, isn't he? Chris, yeah. what's that yeah. mean? Oh, oh I've, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I'm kind of, I'm now. I'm struggling a bit. Well, I'm... don't worry. Before we go any further, let's go away and watch this episode, and all will become clear. You can't be sure of anything these days, can you? No. Five more minutes, and another poor soul goes to the devil. Well, we've just been subjected to an episode of Coronation Street that uh, <laughs> first went out on Monday, the 23rd of December, 1985. Chris, um, Chris, I'm going to come to you first, just to set the scene a bit here. Where are we in the... The great arc of Coronation Street history. What, what condition is the show in at this point in its life? Well, I think it had just celebrated its 25th anniversary. And in my opinion, um, I don't think Coronation Street was really in the best of health at this point in its history. Over the preceding few years, they'd lost a lot of key characters for various different reasons. They'd lost Elsie Tanner, Stan Ogden, Len Faircliffe, Annie Walker, Eddie Yates... And to me, it doesn't really feel like they'd worked out how to take things forward, or even if they did need to take things forward. I mean, I think from watching the episode we just watched, they thought it was just business as usual. I mean, the big shadow on the wall really here was the start of EastEnders on BBC One. Albert Square is where you'll meet the EastEnders, coming soon to BBC One. By this stage, uh, in December 1985, EastEnders was in was in top gear on BBC One. That was getting all the ratings, it was getting all the coverage in the tabloids. Um, I think Coronation Street's response to EastEnders was was largely well, just ignore it. Like some noisy neighbours from London had just moved in next door, and 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 they were just going to turn the other cheek. I, was, I think ITV and Granada's response to EastEnders was, of course. Albion Market, or to give it its full title, the ill-fated Albion Market. <laughs> but but yeah, but from watching this episode, um, I, I I personally didn't get the sense that that Corrie was in the best of health. Given 
what you've just said, therefore, it, it strikes me that um, this particular episode, which which I chose, obviously because it's it's a festive episode, but but also because of some of what you've just described in terms of EastEnders and so on, it strikes me that um, this is actually quite a textbook episode for this period of Coronation Street's life. And in fact, despite being a festive episode, it's really very run-of-the-mill and perhaps not that good. It's a wedding episode, uh, but it doesn't feel like they've pushed the boat out for that. And it's the episode immediately before Christmas Day. And again, it doesn't feel anything special in that regard. Well, Graham, perhaps you should come in here uh, and because I think you had a slightly different uh, response to it when we watched it. I did. I mean, I can't disagree with anything Chris is saying. Um, I think all his analysis of what things starting to go wrong are absolutely true. Now, I suppose I just have a fundamentally different point of view in that it's a wedding episode, but actually nothing goes wrong in this wedding. It's just a lovely <laughs> wedding that happens. There's lots of women running around cackling. There's lots of kind of faded middle-aged men making gags about poor Alf Roberts because he's about to marry Audrey. Leave him alone. He's got enough misery coming. I want to give him a good send-off. I mean, he is a friend of ours, you know. Oh, if he is a friend of yours, the best thing you could do is hijack him till it all blows over. <laughs> and it's all very kind of northern idioms and fun and laughter. And I think the episode is then, it's either complacent or it's confident. And I'm going to say it's confident because it does something very audacious, I think, which is that we see Alf and Audrey on the registry office steps about to go in, and then it just fades back to exactly the same scene and they're coming out. It's so confident, it doesn't even show us the wedding. And I thought that was really lovely, the way it sort of slightly throws that away. And for me, it just seemed like a kind of a jolly with a lot of people that we know very well, mostly having a nice time with a couple of little dramas bubbling under. Well, interestingly, Graham, kind of, I, I wouldn't argue with anything you've just said, but I felt that it was slightly complacent. I actually didn't like the fact that we didn't see uh, the wedding. It felt to me like they only had the budget to, to film, and it is on film, the arrival and departure from the registry office, and they didn't have the budget to actually go inside the registry office. I mean, obviously, you know, it, as you say, it's a, it's a wedding where nothing goes wrong, but kind of, I wanted to see Betty dabbing her eyes with a hanky. I wanted to see Audrey throw the bouquet into the air and Mavis catching it. These, these are the things that a Corrie wedding episode are made for. I think I might saying that both of you were regular Coronation Street viewers around about this time in, in the mid-80s. Is that right? I certainly would have been watching. I don't think I could have classified myself as uh, a Corrie devotee, but it's certainly a show that I watched and enjoyed despite the shortcomings that I've sort of now trained my eye on 35 years later. <laughs> and what about you, Graham? Oh, well, no, definitely um, a regular viewer at this point. I think th this is prior to three episodes a week. And it, when it gets to three episodes a week, that's sort of, I think, where I dropped off. But I think that the beauty of um, you know having all these years of history, personal history with Coronation Street, is watching that. You can just see some of that history kind of, breaking open the seams in the story there's just lots of little moments that you kind of understand because you've been there you've been around that street for ages and ages and ages and there's for example there's where mike baldwin uh he he makes the speech uh alf roberts's um do afterwards ladies and gentlemen can i have a little bit of, ladies and gentlemen can i have a little bit of hush please and he makes a crack that we're only here because of an accident which is that uh, Audrey, uh, I think she crashed a car into Alf's. Because we wouldn't have been here because Audrey 
crashed the car, and Alf lost his licence for life. But of course, we're all thinking of poor Rene Roberts, Alf's first wife, who died in a motoring accident. And there's a lovely bit where Brian Mosley, who plays Alf, just looks down for a moment. Rene! And they do actually specifically pick it up a little later, but they almost didn't need to, I think. And I'm sure, Chris, you would have got that as well, did you, when you watched that and you saw him do that, his eyes flicker and you think, oh, my God. Oh, oh absolutely. I mean, kind of uh, the, the, the accident with Rini is kind of seared in, into my memory. Rini! But Coronation Street traditionally has this incredible fidelity to continuity. And... To be fair to it, it still has that today, just about hanging mm. on. You will still occasionally get a reference to uh, Mrs. Walker's day uh, from Rita, perhaps. Well, I'd describe my feelings watching this episode um, rather differently. And I think that's conditioned by the fact that I never watched Coronation Street when I was uh, growing up or even as an adult. I've never been a regular viewer. Um, so watching this episode felt to me like I was eavesdropping on a world that didn't really have a care about how I would react to it. Is that a fair reaction, do you think? I think I probably would say that. I think because at the time, in 1985, and Corrie's still on the crest of this wave, it's got its best ever executive producer, Bill Podmore, um, you know, still helming it. I think Corrie was taking for granted that everyone watched Corrie and uh, it could take for granted that everyone knew the relationships in Corey. I mean, this is, I mean, we have to mention it. We have to mention the Deirdre and Mike Baldwin affair. Baldwin of all people! You decide to have an affair to enliven the tedium of your marriage and you have to go and pick a little creep like him! I didn't pick him! I didn't go looking for an affair. I didn't want an oh, affair. Oh, I see. It was an irresistible impulse. Was it written in the stars? This thing was bigger than both of I you. I hate you when you talk like that. What us. you hate is the truth! This is um, a couple of years on. But this is the point where storylines are now in the papers as well. So Bill Podmore and the writing team have that confidence that not only is everyone watching Corrie, but even those who aren't kind of know what's going on in Corrie because it's big news. Now, as it is, this is the point where it's starting to not be such big news. But I can understand why now, divorced from all of that, looking back on it some decades on, why you may feel that there's nothing there for you. And it probably did feel akin actually to um, showing up as a wedding guest at a wedding of two people that you've never met. Graham, I felt that particularly um, at the very end of this episode, uh, where we are quite literally just onlookers uh, for about the last two or three minutes, mm. when all the camera does is just fix one shot on everybody milling about, sort of rather uncomfortably trying to dance or sing or shuffle around while um, the band plays uh, White Christmas. That was really the sort of the, the, the nadir for me. And I thought, well, what, why am I still here? Why are we still watching this? There's nothing going on at all. Nobody speaks for 50 seconds. I actually timed it. We just kind of, as you say, <laughs> uh, see, people, see people dancing. Uh, sometimes it's kind of interspersed with uh, a, a a gale of laughter from Liz Dawn. And this is why I, I don't feel this episode quite succeeds because it doesn't feel tight. It doesn't feel taut. It feels actually like it's the script's underrun a bit and they've had to pad it out a bit. I disagree with this um, um, summing up of that last scene, this sort of being baggy. I think it's incredibly tight. There's so many things going on in that, that scene where no one's talking. I mean, my favourite thing of all is Percy Sugden strumming along in his ukulele on his own at a table. 
while the music is playing. I thought that was just really, I sound like Tom Paul in here on late review, but I found it incredibly moving, um, that little thing. Or the whole business that, um, that Jack is dancing with Audrey's Randy friends who we've never seen before and Vera's getting the hump. Um, just all the little bits of business that's going on in that room. I thought that was fantastic. Maybe I was uh, expecting too much from this episode then. I, I, I made a list of some things that I thought were missing from the episode, which I would have liked to have seen. Uh, and that list is suspense, emotion, energy and warmth. Uh, <laughs> it was warmth. You can't deny there was warmth. It I did not feel warmth. warmth. I, d- I felt them all very cold. Perhaps, again, this is a problem I have with the atmosphere that this episode slightly sort of reveled in and perhaps indulged in a bit too much. And that's a slightly sort of smug air of we're not trying too hard to entertain you. We're just putting on a bit of a Christmas do. And that struck me as slightly flippant i'm afraid um i I kind of do agree with you about about the lack of tension the lack of drama i i disagree about the the lack of warmth i think graham's right i think for me there's a there's a lot there's a lot of warmth um there's a really lovely scene fairly early on where audrey is talking to her daughter gail about uh her her nerves about getting married what are you doing here i'm thinking i'm allowed to think on my wedding day and it's made pretty plain that she's really kind of in two minds about marrying Alf, who really isn't her sort of man. It's textbook, plain-speaking northern humour. There's a line where Audrey uh, refers to uh, getting married as that wilt thou business, which is kind of which is quintessential Corrie, I feel. And Audrey's already wearing a Christmas cracker hat, and she's sort of despondently blowing on a on a party blower uh, for for no real reason whatsoever. Uh, which does kind of signal that it's Christmas, I suppose. But I, those are the things I really liked about this episode. I think this episode is basically less than the sum of its parts. Uh, Nadia Popov, as I like to think of her <laughs> from rent ghost <laughs> Sue Nichols. I thought she was easily the best performer in this episode. I, I thought she's, she's always watchable, incredibly yeah. natural. She's very at ease on camera. She's very entertaining. For me, she was the star here. I, yeah, she is fantastic. And I think one of the things that struck me when I was watching it was that it's very hard to find meaningful differences between her character and Bette Lynch. The pleasure's all Freddy's, oh. isn't it, Chuck? Because they are both the kind of normally perennially unlucky in love, slightly glamorous, you know, to use a, a modern phrase, cougar-esque woman on the street. <laughs> doesn't seem to really work with Corey, but you know what I'm trying to say. But for me, I think Audrey just has a little more charm than Bet. Bet's a bit dry, a bit aggressive. Fred, we're moving! Give me Andre, come! I've got But I do wonder how come those two archetypes have ended up in the same show. It feels like you only need one of them. I mean, my other star player in this is Brian Mosley as Alf Roberts. Right, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of my wife and myself, I'd just like to thank you for all the lovely presents and for being here with us this afternoon. Because I just think, you know, Alf Roberts is literally and metaphorically a kind of immovable force. He is always Alf roberts <laughs> in anything that happens. First shot of him, he's got no trousers on and he's stomping up the stairs. Uh, probably the script would have said like a bear with a sore head. I mean, I always remember uh, scenes with Alf Roberts showing up at someone else's house and um, sit down. And five minutes 
he'll say, did someone say something about a drink? I feel like my throat's been cut. <laughs> and, you know, in this, there's a brilliant bit where he goes to his own reception and they're having champagne. Of course, Alf says... Any chance of a pint? Of course, there is. I get one for you. And, you know, I just... That is a character who I completely know and believe in. I mean, you're a Alf Roberts fan as well, aren't you, Chris? Surely. I, oh, absolutely. I think there's a line later on where he's bemoaning that all the sausage rolls have been eaten. Oh, Isn't there no sausage rolls at all? Well, that was all very polite. Which I think fits very neatly into your character sketch of him. I had trouble with this relationship, though. I couldn't see what the two found in each other. I wasn't convinced by what I That's saw in this episode. That's yeah. the point well, of that relationship, which is that they shouldn't they getting, be together. But why are they getting married then? I, it's it's the counterintuitiveness of that relationship that makes it really brilliant. It's like when you know Ron and Bev in Brookside got together, and actually that turned into a long-lasting relationship. And Alf and Audrey turns into a real bedrock relationship in the show. And it's just really beautiful because they sort of need each other. And actually what she's always needed is a nice man. And he is that nice man. I think it would be too stark to describe it as a marriage of convenience. But it does feel like they're two people in middle age mm. who need a partner and are almost settling for what's on offer. Yes. And it's about niceness, isn't it? They're nice to each other. They kind of, yeah. they rub along well together, they're happy together, but it's not torrid, it's not romantic, it's not glamorous. Mm. They also make a, a quintessential Corrie double act in that they are quite different. Uh, and that works quite well, I think, with a, with a lot of Corrie uh, partnership because, because that show loves the double act. We've talked about some of the nice people in this episode. What about some of the nasty people? Are there some baddies here, Graham? What about Baldwin? He always strikes <laughs> me as a baddie. Well, I think you're showing that you're partisan there by referring to him in the Kembala way as simply Baldwin. Baldwin! Um, he's Mike Baldwin. <laughs> um, I mean, he's, a, he's another fantastic character. I'm not sure that Johnny Briggs is the greatest actor, but he's a handy character to have around, isn't he? Uh, Baldwin and here I think he's in quite benevolent form he's he's helping Alpha he's guiding him through the day I love the you know an early reference in the episode to the boot of the jag um I you know the totemic uh, power of uh, Mike Baldwin's jag you're gonna love us at the registry office we'll have to get the car clean there there's a thing later on towards the end of the episode that he's given all the factory girls a hundred quid bonus so it's a sort of a gray area and £100 at that point in time was an enormous amount. I couldn't believe it's, that. Yeah, it's fantastic money. But then it does the clever thing of, you know, we're seeing him as benevolent um, uh, and kindly and involved. But then we also get to occasionally see him refracted through the, the Ken Barlow lens as well. And there's a terrific um, moment when we can see Ken and Deirdre looking on at Baldwin uh, as he's doing something uh, towards the end of the episode. We always seem to dance together at weddings, don't we? Yeah, we do, don't we? How old were you last time? 16. Suddenly, it's, things are just framed in another way, and suddenly, you know, Mike is... He turns into a predator. Well, I had uh, assumed that the only thing going on in, in this episode was the wedding, but... Um, while we were watching it, you pointed out that there was actually another storyline that was being seeded in this episode, which would bear fruit, perhaps some bitter fruit, in years to come. 
Absolutely. So that's the relationship between Baldwin and Ken Barlow's daughter, Susan, which is actually being seeded in this episode and would become one of the major storylines of Coronation Street uh, in 1986. I mean, the great signifier of this is where we get Deirdre uh, telling Ken, Don't worry, she's a sensible girl. Which is a classic, ominous uh, soap opera <laughs> payoff line because, you know, that actually she's not going to be that sensible, is she, at all? And to be clear, what's happening in this scene, this scene where Ken and Deirdre are looking on, the scene that Chris is talking about, is that Susan has a dance with Mike. For me, it sort of marks the beginning of the end of Imperial Coronation Street, because clearly the producers and the writers have been thinking, well, we had, you know, the Ken, Deirdre, Mike love triangle. That was dynamite. We want to get a new variation on that. And this just feels too conspired too stupid it doesn't help that um uh, the actor playing susan is absolutely terrible but don't forget mike i warned you from the start i'm not a domesticated stay-at-home housewife i'm not impressed by dishwashers and microwave ovens and waste disposal units it is the deluxe model i'm 21 mike and i've studied hard and i'm bright very bright and you know it just isn't equal to to this storyline and I think it's it ended up not being well received, did it, Chris? I don't think viewers bought it. And I think people could see yeah. the artifice in putting all these people in this place just so they could have another kind of go round uh, of the same dynamic. I think you're absolutely right. It, it is a classic case of soap diminishing returns that the the original love triangle had had been such a such a massive success that they, they felt they could they could sort of uh squeeze a few more drops out of that i mean going back to that sort of uh fidelity to continuity that i was talking about there is a reference when they're dancing together at the wedding reception there's a reference to them uh dancing at uh ken's ken and deirdre's wedding they obviously felt there was a li- there was a tiny little bit of a spark there that they could they they perhaps had watched that episode from 1981 and seen Mike dancing with a younger Susan I thought perhaps we could sort of uh, get something out of that and it doesn't end there does it am I right in thinking that then later on Ken has a fling with Mike's partner Maggie um how about dinner tomorrow night yeah I'd love to and Mark's staying overnight at friends right I'll cook my flat oh in Coronation Street it's all right there's nothing to worry about Everything's sorted. Is that right? There's always this kind of dilly-dalliance between the two of them. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's like, it's like the master turning up in Doctor Who, isn't it? Kind of, you know, when, when, they, when they can't think of anything else, let's just have uh, another Mike and Ken storyline. Or conversely, in, in Brookside, they would blow up the parade if they, th- if they thought things were kind of flagging. <laughs> Saying all that, the person for me who was the most objectionable in this entire episode <laughs> is oh, yeah. someone who is referred to as Tyndall. Um, <laughs> I don't think he's a regular, or maybe he was a semi-regular. And, I mean, honestly, uh, he contributes little other than just to moan and whinge and, as he says at one point, speak his mind. Come <laughs> off it. I've every right to complain, every right it world. I won that pudding fair and square and it vanished from these premises. He feels that he's been wronged because he's lost, oh, heaven forbid, 
a Christmas pudding. And um, maybe one of you can tell me a bit more about who this awful man is. Well, Ian, the gentleman you're referring to is Sam Tyndall, and he was very much the Cliff Barnes to Percy Sugden's J.R. Ewing. They were sort of reluctant <laughs> love rivals uh, for the heart of Phyllis Pierce for, for, for quite a long time. And Sam Tyndall's uh, main distinguishing characteristic, which we don't get in this episode, is he used to carry around a very small dog called Dougal in a zip-up holdall. Um, but, Ian, didn't you like the whole quaint northern humour when he uh, mixed up the word pronoun and proverb. Didn't, didn't you enjoy that? Do you make habit of sitting at other folks' tables? There's an old pronoun, what you may not have heard of. There's safety in numbers. The one bit when I laughed out loud in the episode was when Percy said pronoun, proverb, you flipping ignoramus. But what about the fact, Ian, that you, you, you have a lot of resentment towards Tintle, but he's got a storyline where his He's, he's aggrieved because he's missing a Christmas pudding, pudding. Uh, which, which Alf has secretly sat on. What's that? Don't you remember? Well, should I? Nah, not really. Not unless you sit on Christmas puddings every day of the week. Oh, blimey, is that what I did? Well, I... T- <laughs> it just seemed... I, from, from what I saw of him, he just seemed like he, he was too much of a caricature for me. I think that was the problem. It does feel like he was created purely for... Percy to have someone to spar with, um, as, as Graham mentioned earlier, and kind of trade barbs with. Well, while we're on the subject, there's a pronoun that I'm particularly fond of. Yeah. Two's company, three's a crowd. I'm very fond of that one and all. Are you? I'll be doing you a favour then, won't I? Yeah. That's better. Now we can have a nice peaceful chat on the sofa. <laughs> other things that i wanted to uh, call attention to at this episode at one point we see a couple of grotesques sitting in the <laughs> rover's return they don't seem to have names they don't really have any lines but they they resemble two old harridans who seem to be parked in the corner i take it these people are not regulars they don't have names these these two uh wretches <laughs> well they may very well have names but we're never told what they are but Ian, surely that's just a kind of a glimpse of northern colour. I was surprised to see the programme still doing that sort of thing at this point in its history, to be honest. I would say that this is a function of the show probably being made in 1985 in exactly the same way as it had been made in 1975. As a contrast to those two women, however, there is a tiny nod to contemporary culture. I don't yes. know if you spotted it. I it's know exactly where you're going are... here. Is it? Well, go on then. What do you think? I'm I think about you're talking about um, when uh, we turn up at the registry office, yes, and we find some young goths have just got married, and they're kind of running out. I've written down here goths, goths um, in Coronation Street. Who would have thought? Who'd have thought? Uh, I, I'm drawn back to the uh, edition of what we just watched uh, when you and Graham watched the Christmas episode of EastEnders from 1985. Uh, when we had a scene with Den Watts uh, announcing that his turkey sandwiches were going to go quicker than Steve Cram. And, you know, we just didn't get anything like that in this episode of Coronation Street, which signified that, that it was 1985. But actually, there, I mean, there were characters like, well, Gail Tilsley, although she's sort of graduated, isn't she, to uh, this pebble-dashed mm. house somewhere outside the, the street... <laughs> There are younger characters are on their way in. Let me uh, reassure you, we have Curly Watts and Sally and Kevin. I mean, actually, a lot of the characters who are, who are now the kind of bedrock um, wiseheads 
in uh, modern day uh, Coronation Street. Uh, Jenny Bradley as well. She she's going to be uh, knocking on Rita's door uh, fairly soon after this episode. Hello, Jenny. Hello. The wedding was one of a number of sequences that I was very surprised to see were done on film. In fact, all the exterior stuff was on film or the interior on videotape. I was very surprised to see this still happening. I was wondering if there had been some production reason why so much was on film. I can't really remember watching episodes of Coronation Street that had this amount of film stock in it. I wonder if the director had identified it as a problem or tried to turn it into a benefit because um, whenever we cut between the two, he, he would tend to do a slow dissolve. Now, in a soap, that actually, I think, drops the pace a bit when you, when you do that. I also think there's just the whole filminess makes things look much more past tense, uh, much colder. And I was actually wondering if that was part of the reason why you were detecting a lack of warmth in this. It's almost a visual thing. Having said that, there's one uh, film sequence which I really love, which is when the residents are giving Alf uh, a send-off to the wedding. <laughs> He's getting in the car! Oh, Come on, girls, girl. grab your coats! Alf, now, will you get in the car? Oh, yeah. Uh, which is on film stock on the exterior set. Uh, and it's like the royal wedding. Uh, the kind of workers <laughs> at Baldwin's Casuals are kind of, they're kind of peering out of the windows. At one point, they start singing, For He's a Jolly Good Grocer. And actually, that's where film stock weirdly works for the show because you're, you're, you know, you're liking it quite rightly to the royal wedding. It also then makes that sequence feel a bit like an ITN report, so <laughs> which suddenly actually puts us right there. There's a moment at the very end of that sequence, however, which really jarred uh, with me because I think it's the sort of thing that they, would, they did a lot of in Coronation Street, I suspect, uh, and they never seem to do it in EastEnders. And that's when <laughs> the, everything stops and a character delivers a homily, almost direct to camera, uh, in a way that you would never do in real life. And here, someone says, oh, we always looked as if he needed someone to look after him. And then I think it's Vera who stops and says, I wonder who it'll be. I wonder who it'll be. Sort of a, a line that's freighted with significance. Yeah, there's another example of that towards the end of the episode where it emerges that Alf and Audrey are off on their honeymoon to Paris. And we cut to Alvy Tilsley looking very despondent and and the claims, all right for some, isn't it? <laughs> but that's one of the strengths, isn't it, of this era of Coronation Street, is that every character is able to sort of take a step back and become part of a Greek chorus. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. As long as he's got plenty in the bank, who cares? You can always find yourself a spare fella. But you try getting your hands on spare cash. Uh, let's deal with any other business. Uh, any other matters arising from this episode. One of the things on my list was um, the fact that we see a glimpse of a T-felt iron um, by the entrance <laughs> to the reception. Um, uh, is, that, is this a bit of product placement in Coronation Street? <laughs> it's a wedding gift for them. I think, that's, it's, I think that's a lovely detail. And the iron had been taken out of the box and placed on top. So, you know, everyone could sort of coo over uh, this uh, luxurious present. I, a couple of things I liked was um, I like um, Hildrogden sort of casting herself as the party police. Hey, are you supposed to be here? Because it's only for them what went 
So uh, making sure that Jack Duckworth had every right to be there. I also liked the music, the party music, playing out over the end credits. Now, it's not the equal of We Need a Little Christmas from the episode of Crossroads that we enjoyed watching together, I think, the Christmas before last. All right, John. But I still thought it was a lovely way to, to you know, to, to play out those end titles. I want to talk about Audrey's friends, who I think you referred to earlier, Graham. I mean, they are suitably northern bratty. They've, they've walked right out of a Victoria Woods get. Yes. And their names are Sandra Pilkington and Irene <laughs> Sherritt. And I, one bit I really loved is when Audrey's going in for the, uh, for the wedding, they start doing the funeral march. Yes. Uh, which seemed lovely, kind of a realistic moment. And um, they are both full of bratty comments uh, throughout the moment. I think we get some sort of bawdy heckling from them when, when Mike's doing his best man speech. Oh, speak to me! Is that all you want? All promises, promises! <laughs> Give the poor cow a chance. Yes, they're fantastic. And I think when I used the word cougaresque earlier, I think what the word I'm looking for really is predatory. They're, they're kind of brilliantly randy, predatory, but ultimately harmless double act, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, their, their target, I think they would define themselves as anything in trousers. Christmas 1985 saw um, Coronation Street and EastEnders not quite going head-to-head over the festive period, but this was the first uh, Christmas that they were both on television. Um, this particular episode of Coronation Street, as I said at the start, was on the 23rd, and there was actually another one on 25th, on Christmas Day itself, but I didn't choose that one because that was even worse than this one. Um, <laughs> however, EastEnders wasn't on Christmas Day at all this year. It was on Boxing Day, and regular listeners to what we just watched may remember that uh, Graham and I talked about that very episode of EastEnders um, a couple of years ago. I went back and had another look at it um, before talking about uh, this uh, episode of Coronation Street, and I was struck by how different both of these programmes are, not just uh, literally in terms of them being different worlds, but the different tone, different pace, different emotion, different humour. I mean, in, in uh, Albert Square uh, this year, you had um, Arthur having trouble cleaning his outside toilet with bits of shit on him. How's it going, Arthur? Who used this loo yesterday? Just about everybody. Didn't see anybody sneaking a pet elephant by any chance, did you? <laughs> and you had everyone with a hangover at the start, but then by the end of the episode, they were all drinking again. Your mum, what about having a couple of things for drink? Just a couple. Oh! There was a big emotional scene in the Vic because uh, Sharon had been uh, stealing money. So you took it just for the sake of taking it? It looks like it, doesn't it? But you must have had a reason. I mean, there was so much there. It was a kaleidoscope of um, entertainment. And I'm afraid, set against that episode, this Coronation Street, for me, was sorely lacking. I think it's perfectly valid to compare the two because... That's almost what the shows were for. They were in competition with each other. And what you're identifying you know, with EastEnders was, I think that's a young show and it had, it really had a kind of a velocity and an aggression and momentum. So it's really going somewhere, whereas this episode of Coronation Street is just kind of puttering around nicely. And for me, I like the puttering around nicely. I tend to agree with you, Graham. It's just that I feel that Coronation Street 
can be better than this. I feel, mm. I feel this is a very a middle of the road, second gear sort of episode of Coronation Street. When Coronation Street of this vintage is in top gear, it's absolutely wonderful. Mm. And I didn't really feel like it hit the heights in the way that EastEnders was probably hitting the heights in sort of 1985 and 1986. You've been listening to What We Just Watched from TV Cream, in which we watched an episode of Coronation Street that was broadcast on the 23rd of December, 1985. We'll be back tomorrow with one more festive instalment. And until then, bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>